1: Welcome into to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's Monday morning. It's football and random things. It's a 9.06 a.m. And Jeff Woody, the last three days, it felt like they took two weeks. It has, seems like it's been a long time since the Cyclones destroyed the Horned Frogs on Friday afternoon at Jack Trice Stadium in the regular season finale. But oh my goodness, have things happened. Can we,
0: I, I would just like, I don't know who they are and what room they got in but can we just give a round of applause just to the script writers of the, the 2021, uh, college football season generally, like just the plot twists are incredible. I mean, you introduce new characters, there's going to be, you know, a, a Cincinnati character. Uh, I really creative. I mean, it's different. Uh, there's a potentially an Oklahoma state. You have a cowboy. that's going to be fun. Like it's up there. Uh, you know, the old, the, the, the monoliths those things have moved a little bit like ohio state that one's moved uh your clemson that one moved i mean the, the the turns and also like introducing the wwf heel of texas and oklahoma and then like right away just shitting all over texas the whole season like that is it's just, you have a punching bag. Like it's a really good thematic device. It's awesome. And then the Oklahoma, like you build them up, you know, you introduce this new character inside that, that, uh, that a subplot inside that character, and then get all the way to the end and then just pull the rug out from underneath them. I mean, just what a, what a beautiful arc. I would I just want whoever the script writers are for the 2021 college football season. Just Bravo. You deserve an Emmy. If you don't get it, you should anyway. Just wonderful,
1: wonderful job. I just wish that they had uh, given our main character a little bit better of a treatment during this season. <laughs> yeah. That's, but you know what? They have to learn lessons. <laughs> they,
0: it, this is like, this is like season three, you know, it's like it, it, it of a, of a six or seven episode or six or seven season run where the character is, has st- started to find a little bit of success and, you know, but then gets, it finds out the hard way you have to, you know, certain things have to go a little bit different, but they learn from it and then advance towards the thing they want. So I, yeah, you want this, the, the character have been treated better, but you just keep coming back. You just keep coming back.
1: It's like, uh, what is it? Season two of Friday night lights when coach Taylor leaves for the college job for a while. And then he comes back to, uh, comes back to Dylan and then they like make it back to the state title game and lose in a heartbreaker after winning the state title the year before. And they returned everybody you know, it's like that. It's that. Yeah. 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 And you need those moments a, to to help you understand how much you should cherish the special ones. Exactly. Yeah. You have to have the down. There is no, there
0: is no light without darkness. There is no up without down. So, you, you know, you have to have the, the downsides, but it just thematically and just yeah, the Oklahoma turn,
1: just a, just wonderful, just wonderful. All right. Should we start with, uh, the Cyclones went over TCU on Friday or should would we work backwards? I think we need, I, I just, the big news to me, I mean, the big news in college football is
0: Lincoln Riley to USC. That is the big news, which I, for one, and now, I mean, stick aside, I think it's a terrific fit. I think Lincoln Riley at USC is, is absolutely perfect. I mean, he's a young guy who doesn't mind cameras, which if you're going to be a Southern Cal- in Southern California, like you have to be okay with that. So young guy doesn't mind cameras Is an offensive first coach. So you're going to be able to put a fun product on the field. The pac 12 South sucks. So you can really quickly take a team from whatever they were, four and eight, five and seven, or whatever they ended up at this year, immediately take them from being pretty bad to being at least competitive for the South championship. Andy already recruits the hell out of California. I mean, that's where Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams came from as well as a fair number of the rest of their like high level skill guys,
1: but your point still, your
0: your point still stands. Yeah. Yeah. Is that he recruits out of California and let's call it Arizona. Like he recruits the West coast really, really well. So he's already got the connections there. He's already got like the, the kind of vibe of what a USC coach should be. I think it's a perfect fit. Now, if I'm in Norman, I am livid, absolutely livid. But if I'm in Los Angeles or just generally an onlooker that's not in Norman, I think it's a great fit.
1: Yeah. And this was like an all time, an all time heel turn because just when you thought Lincoln Riley was like, okay, I'm in, I'm staying at OU. I'm not going to go to LSU or wherever it may be. And then did like, it it would be where, you know, at the end of episode nine and a 10 episode run, would be Lincoln Riley saying that I'm staying at, at, Oklahoma, not going to LSU. And then at the end of episode 10, you would get the ultimate cliffhanger where Lincoln Riley dips and goes to USC. <laughs> and it turns out that it's all, like I said, it's all just been sleight of hand and it's all just been a, like a distraction from what's actually happening. A red herring, you know, you, like we've all been yeah. chasing this one rumor just for something else to completely, for something completely else to help happen. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I think that he's going to do really well there. It's just crazy how the best things that happen in college football happen, like in the dead of night, when, Uh, you know, when you would think that nobody is watching. And then it turns out that there's three reporters posted up with a, with a video camera at a private airport (laughs) in Tulsa uh, prepared at five 30 in the morning to see Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch and company hopping on a private jet to Los Angeles you know, and, and yeah, best laid plans, man. Like it, it is,
0: it is funny too, just because, uh, you know, I read an LA times article when, when the Campbell, to USC, when that was at full swell, like Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. when it was basically like, yeah, it's a done deal. Campbell's going to USC like that. When that whole thing was going, I read an LA times article and one of the, 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 the author of that, and I forget his name. So I apologize to that author for not citing it correctly, but one of the things he talked about, is like, it is, you have to acknowledge that recruiting a coach now is different than recruiting a coach was 20 years ago. Like, and fickle and Campbell and Aranda are kind of the perfect example of that, where none of those three guys, at least when you dig all the way through the indicator, all the way through like what truly is, they don't seem like they're interested in just jumping to a job. Now, that doesn't mean that none of them will ever leave. And we don't know any inside information regarding that. Um, But it doesn't seem like a guy would leave Cincinnati, Waco or Iowa state or Ames to go to Los Angeles. But 20 years ago, I mean, that's without question, you're going to bounce to go do that, but like it is different. And I think guys are realizing this uh, or at least a fair number of coaches are realizing that if you have a good situation where you are, that is much better to be at than trying to bounce from job to job, to job, to job, to job. Otherwise you end up like Lane Kiffin, you know, and you end up being there for two or three years and you end up getting fired, but you get a hefty paycheck. So like it, it is, it is interesting. And the reason I say that is because like Norman in like Oklahoma is as pedigreed as any university, any program is in the country. I mean, if you look at top to bottom, it's like, Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio state, Texas, OU, USC. Like that's the top of the top. And someone just bounced from Oklahoma in the dead of the night to take what would air quotes be a better job. You know, like if that ain't a gut punch, I don't know what is, but at the same time, Luke fickle has turned down all of these jobs to stay at Cincinnati. So like, it is just a different, it's a different environment that you have to kind of consider that coaches are now, looking at it a different way, at least a lot of them are looking at it a different way of, I like physical has six kids, which that's a whole litter. So it has six kids. And he's like, do I want to uproot my children to take another job that may or may not, uh, that I may or may not enjoy when I know that I like this one, how much money is too much money? You know, how much money is it worth for me to go completely leave the thing that I have committed to, to go do this other thing. And so, yeah, it is a bit of a different coaching search now that it's not like guaranteed that guys are going to be moving to find the higher level job once they get to a job they like. So it is, it is interesting, um, you know, that someone's going to bounce from out of Norman to go to USC when no one would ever leave Norman 20 years ago. Like that is a a destination. So yeah, it's, it's just an interesting flip on its head of what you would expect.
1: I mean, I think that these coaches are probably getting smarter about understanding you know, what's a good job and what's a bad job. And at the end of the day too, like I think a lot of these things are shifting just as as the sport changes. You know, I think the reality is that if you're in the big 12 right now, especially after this Lincoln Riley news, you know that there, the door is open for you to, especially knowing too that Oklahoma and Texas are going to leave the league in the not so distant future. It's like, man, we can angle this and take advantage of this and we could become the powers of the future big 12, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, I think right now today, if you had to sit and handicap that, who are going to be the five years from now, what are the five, what are the three or four best programs in the league? I mean, I think if everything stayed the same, it would be hard to sit there and not say, Iowa state's got a really good chance to be in that group. Baylor has a really good chance to be in that group. Oklahoma state, Cincinnati is probably in that same mm-hmm. conversation, and, and then BYU. I think in, and BYU and TCU. Like I think those are the other mm-hmm. ones. That's like when you look at the coach that they have right now, you look at the trajectory of the program. All of those, I think, have opportunities right now to kind of solidify and their stances being at the top of the league perenn- perennially. And let's not ignore Kansas State. So you also have, I mean, Climan.
0: Who's yes, this is fourth year, and, and they have not done everything like to the top that you actually wanted to, but that dude's won like 15 national championships where as soon as you get installed, the thing that he wants to do, if they get on a roll, I mean, if they get, if they get situated in a way that they feel like they can actually comfortably operate, I mean, that is, I feel like climbing what his end goal would be is Michigan this year. Like w- the way that Michigan plays this year is really dominant run game, really good defensive line play quarterback play. That's good enough. Like, and if you can get, imagine dropping Michigan now, granted Kansas state's not going to pull the recruits at Michigan will, but imagine dropping Michigan into the big 12 right now. And that's basically what the dream for climate would be. So like this conference is going to be really strong, but to your point without Oklahoma, because I mean, we were talking before we started when Lincoln Riley in, in the day, the 24 hours since Lincoln Riley has officially accepted the job at USC their recruiting rankings went from what seventh in the country after what five or six decommits to like 15th in 24 hours. They just dropped just like a brick. And so like maybe whoever comes in next, maybe they do a good job and maybe they rescue it. And maybe they're able to kind of pull everything together and, you know, do the thing that you keep Oklahoma as Oklahoma, but maybe they don't. And at this point, yeah. Where would you rather be? Would you rather be at LSU, who you're going to have to play Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, Georgia, all those every year, and you get the bottom half of the SEC, so that's kind of nice, but you still also have to play those teams every year, so you're never gonna, you're not gonna win. I mean, maybe you do, but you're gonna have to scrap to beat Alabama, Auburn, Georgia every year, or you could be at Cincinnati, like Luke Fickle. And you get to play in the big 12 where that's the competition that you've got, which is still quality, but the door is swung. You're not going to have to play Nick Saban every year. So like, yeah, it is to bring it back to the the original point. It is a got a good job air quotes. Good job is different now than it was 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. As I look at it right now, Oklahoma's class was number seven nationally coming into yesterday. Uh, That group is now down to 11. Uh, I think they've lost two commitments in the 2022 class. Uh, they now have the number two class in uh, in the Big 12, and then Iowa State is right behind them at number three, which is insane for Iowa State to have a number three recruiting class in the in the conference. But um, man, it just it, it feels like it was a it was a seismic moment. I think one that we'll probably look back on for years as being a major like landscape landscape shifting move for all of college football, because I'm interested to see what dominoes fall. Now, what players that might've ended up at Oklahoma end up elsewhere that wouldn't mm-hmm. have, if Lincoln Riley had still been the head coach there, we don't, and, uh, and we don't know who Oklahoma's coach is going to be. So who leaves Oklahoma yeah. that is, you know, someone that can make an impact elsewhere. I'm not and I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that everyone will go to USC. You know, I'm sure that there'll be a mm-hmm. handful of kids that will, but you never know someone could open up that door and then all of a sudden they end up somewhere completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that's, that's interesting um,
0: is we talk about like, you know, the, 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 the joke that again, the shtick of the script writers, but like one of the reasons why Lincoln left was because he didn't, he didn't agree with the move to go to the sec. He didn't want to do it. He talked, uh, apparently had talked to the administration about not doing it and voiced his displeasure about it. So that you talk about a seismic moment is when Texas and Oklahoma announced that they're going to the sec and that, that tried to form the super league and you have the head coach of Oklahoma saying, this is a stupid idea who would theoretically stand to benefit from it the most, because he would have access to, you know, the, that everyone's going to tout out. You have all the money and you're, this is your TV revenue, which is, again, the only argument that a bad SEC team has, you know, is, oh, we make more money. Congratulations, you won three wins. Congratulations. Good job, buddy. But if you have that guy saying that this is a bad idea, then the concept of that SEC Super League that everyone was really scared of a couple of years ago, when the person who stands to benefit from it the most wants to leave That that to me, that says a lot about what the future of that thing is and, and that it is not quite as destined to succeed as many thought that it actually would be is, you know, we get 32 teams in the SEC, dude's going to the PAC 12. And now granted, you could still end up with USC getting gobbled up by some other thing once in 2025 or 2024, when the TV rights are up and everything re-scrambles, that might still happen. And it probably, things are still going to shift around a lot. But again, I think just that Lincoln Riley thing, moving to USC away from the move to the SEC, that to me is part of this seismic moment just because of what that says about the insider's perception of what that deal was actually going to look like. So, yeah, I think that this, this little microcosm of what Texas and OU did, what Lincoln Riley then bounced out of that, like that season, tracking that little through line is going to be a really interesting retrospective when you go back and look at it 10 years from now.
1: And I think there's a reality too, that, if you're Lincoln Riley, you sit there and look at it. And yeah, the sec is really good. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend the sec is not good, you know, but there's also a lot of teams that, you know, there's going to be the couple dominant teams, but there's also going to be a bunch of teams that have to go six and six or seven and five for those dominant Mm -hmm. teams to be able to exist, you know? Mm -hmm. So even if you expand the playoff to 12, it's not this slam dunk that all of a sudden you're going to get, you know, four teams into the playoff. Because how often are those teams going to have good enough records to be ranked that high if Mm. they're losing three, four, five games in a season, you know, you don't Mm. just all of a sudden be like, man, our league has got two teams better, you know, that are on paper supposed to be two of the best programs. Wow. Now everybody's going to go 11 and one. Like that's just not mathematically possible, you know. Yeah, and and, and that's like, what I think people maybe State,
0: didn't understand. Like Mississippi State is a good example of that they were the twenty fifth or eighteenth, twenty fourth, somewhere in there, like a a ranked team, who if push comes to shove, that I don't. Even, I mean, they're not even going to get to a New Year six, and they're a darn good team. But because they had to play all the top dogs in the SEC, which I think that the SEC and the Big Ten have a pretty similar structure to me in that the top is really, really good. And the bottom is really, really bad. Where the big 12 is you have, uh, I think I would put Oklahoma state in that really, like really, really good category, uh, Baylor and Oklahoma and Iowa state. I would group together despite the records would be like in the pretty good stage where they would end up being like an old miss in, in that, where they're going to be just a below the top tier, but the rest of the conference in the big 12 is really, really good except Kansas. And I would say TCU this year, but you have this kind of spread between the top and the bottom. And if you're not in that top two or three in either conference, I mean, look at Ohio state, Ohio state is probably one of, if, if you were to have a tournament, a a 64 team tournament, that's a final Four team. like they're going to win their way through to get to the final four. Again, it's not physically possible, but just in a hypothetical situation, they are probably one of the best four teams in the country but because they play in the big 10 East, which has three dominant teams and Penn state, who's pretty darn good. And then a bunch of crap and you have, but you have that top that you have to fight through, which would be the situation that Oklahoma is going to end up in when they go to the sec, where you have this top where you've got your LSUs, your Alabama's, your Georgia's Florida, every once in a while, your A and M every once in a while, but then you have the bottom and you got your Vanderbilt, like cool, you know, but, That kind of, you're going to be able to, to, to win through the bottom, but you can't be in the top every single year. So yeah, we talked about it earlier. The PAC 12 South. Isn't very good. I mean, who is the best? I don't even know who is, who's representing the South in the championship game. Utah state, Utah, Utah. Ah, Utah. So you got Utah representing the South in the PAC 12 championship game to play Oregon. Uh, okay. You're basically, you got to beat Utah. Physical tough team, but that's one like UCLA is going to get better under chip, but they're not great. Arizona state has the chance to be good every once in a while. But if you're measuring yourself against Arizona state and UCLA and Utah, it's a lot different than measuring yourself against Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. at the
1: end of the day too, I think that the reality of that situation is it's going to be Oregon and USC pulling away from the league you know and that's assuming that Oregon mm-hmm. continue to recruit well where Oregon has had a great deal of success in southern california <laughs> yeah. uh when Oregon has been really good it's because they've been able to have a great deal of success in southern california that's what chip was able to do so well when Oregon was really rolling in the you know early 2010s and late 2000s <laughs> if that all of a sudden is gone USC Will be the dominant power in that league, and there won't be anybody yeah. who can come close to them. Yeah, I
0: feel like UCLA with Chip has a chance to be pretty good, but there's got to be a lot of things that happen in a row for that to actually, you know, for them to to manifest in the same way that we expect Lincoln Riley to get USC to manifest. Just I, I don't know it, it, for whatever reason. I, I mean, I've been to the UCLA campus, and if anyone <laughs> you you should recruit Southern California if you're playing if you're coaching at UCLA. But also, if you brought a kid, like if you brought a high-level kid from Missouri to the UCLA campus and said, you can go here for free, I'd sign me up right now. I mean, it's a gorgeous campus. It's, it's freaking in Beverly Hills, like right down Rodeo Drive. But I don't know. It's neither here nor there. But <clears throat> I don't know. The whole Lincoln Riley thing as a general theme is a really interesting future retrospective.
1: Yeah. This will be a great oral history in like 10 years. Yeah. And also I
0: think the other thing that's going to be interesting, and, and we mentioned this a, a little bit before, uh, before recording is how much of, and so we know that this is, there are certain elements that this art is hundred percent true. We don't know what is true and crap until you get all the way through it. Agents for sure use certain rumors. They will start certain rumors to create leverage for their client in some other situation. So how much of the news that we've heard regarding the LSU job, regarding the USC job, regarding the Florida job, whatever, regarding certain guys, how much of that is true and had, and ever had knee legs and how much of it was complete fabrication from Whoever Lincoln Riley's agent is, or Billy Napier's agent, or whatever, we don't know how much of it was like how how close was Dave Aranda to getting any job? Maybe he never actually even remotely entertained it. Like, and that might be true. And the same thing with Campbell. Like, maybe he was close. Maybe he wasn't. And I don't know even at this point. um, And I think you can we can probably clarify that in a second. But like how much uh, another interesting layer of this is how much of this was really potentially going to happen and how much of it was complete and total crap made up by an agent.
1: Yeah. The thing we know about Campbell is, you know, I think I'm safe. I'm okay to say that we know that the staff was working yesterday and it seems as though everything is trending in Iowa state's direction in that way for Matt Campbell to get an extension or a restructure of his contract or something like that. I would not be shocked at all to see that come through within the next 24 hours. I don't know if it will be today. I don't know if it will be sometime on Tuesday, but I would be very surprised if we get late into the week and we have not gotten full details on, on that. We're not going to find out where any, what happened with any of the other stuff, at least not now. It may be sometime later on in the off season. Once, you know, Chris can do a podcast with coach Campbell or uh, when we finally get opportunities to you know, do uh, sit downs with them or something like that. Again, I could maybe see that happening, but for now, we're probably not going to hear anything on that end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, at this point, I, Iowa state is in a good position from everything that we know and Matt Campbell seems to be good to go for at least one more year. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Every time that we do this, we've got to say, well, we've got, got at least one more you know, and, uh, you never know too. Obviously coach Campbell has been coveted by NFL teams. The NFL hiring cycle has not really arrived yet. Mm-hmm. So who knows, you know, but yeah. as of right now today on November 29th, 2021 at nine thirty one AM we're safe. I think. Yeah. At
0: least again, nothing is locked in the, the, DefCon DEF CON level has just gone from DEF CON one and just gone down to like DEF CON five. It's
1: mm-hmm. still uh, maybe more like We're de- maybe more like DEF CON four DEF CON three. Okay. Okay. You so know. yeah, it's not, we're not
0: off the list yet. And it's not something like, all right, until that, until there's ink to paper that says, yep, I'm going to be back. Then we don't know for sure. So like maybe by the time this pot, you're listening to this podcast, that's already happened. And maybe not. We don't know. But like the again, trending towards yeah. Iowa State being a good position. So I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, a decent place to end the coaching conversation because we got a lot of seniors and a lot of Brees Hall to talk about regarding TCU.
1: Absolutely. And there was also a very exciting Saturday in college football with Rivalry Week and everything. We're going to talk about all of that stuff when we come back on football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back into football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network. Jerry Stansberry, Jeff Woody. Uh, all right. Uh, continuing in the, the working backwards theme, uh, let's just touch on these two, the two games, the big games from Saturday, actually three big games from Saturday that I thought were really interesting. And then we will get to the Cyclones, uh, and their big win on Friday. Oklahoma state is going to the big Twelve title game with a, a bedlam win over Oklahoma. Uh, the final nail in the Lincoln Riley coffin, uh, per se, Michigan in one of the absolute all time great scenes, I think in college football history with snaps and eight game losing streak to Ohio state, uh, now number two in the AP poll, I'd be surprised if they're not the number two team in the college football playoff rankings this week. And they will play Iowa in the big 10 championship game on Saturday. And then Alabama in four overtimes with a win over Auburn, uh, we had to go to our little two point conversion weirdo thing that we were, that we're doing this year. And I don't envision lasting for more than one year. That's going to change. Yeah. yeah it is so change. stupid, dude. It is so stupid. And I don't know what the right answer is. I think maybe you just give people, you give teams one set of downs. You start at the 10 and you say, yeah, all right, that'd... work your way from the 10, you know? Well, I think that's how high school overtime works is, it is. it's yeah.
0: just, it's one set of downs from the 10 yard line in. And I think you can even put the stipulation as like two overtimes, we're just gonna do it like we always did it. Like is you could go from the 25, go on in. Mm-hmm. And then at overtime number three is you start at the 10, you can't kick a field goal. Go. Like, all right, well, that's gonna lead to some drama and likely gonna lead to I don't know, a quicker end to the overtime period. Cause if you have to get in the end zone and you can't get a field kick a field goal, the odds of you scoring a touchdown from the 10 are much slimmer than getting lucky on a two point play from the three. So I don't know, but that
1: there's no way that rule lasts two more years. No, absolutely not. Um, what, what were your final thoughts from, from Saturday? What, what jumped out to you in any of those games? I thought just overarching theme is
0: the difference between being a playoff team and being a really good team is actually really small like that. And the example, I think the easiest example is the Oklahoma Oklahoma state game. I mean, no, granted, there's still some things that need to happen. I mean, Georgia has to beat Alabama because if, if Georgia doesn't beat Alabama, then it'd be Georgia, Alabama, big 10 champ. Well, Michigan, if Iowa wins, there's no way they're in Michigan and Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati has probably got themselves a pretty comfortable position in there because um, if, if they beat Houston. So, if they end up, if they're undefeated and they've, they've run through everything, they did what they did last year, like they have, they deserve the chance to be in there. So it's probably year four. Oklahoma State would probably be the odd man out. But if either Cincinnati or Alabama lose, then Oklahoma State, if they win, are pretty much guaranteed to be. In. There's no one else that really holds a candle to that shot. So Oklahoma State would theoretically be in. So you go, the, the difference between Oklahoma State being in and Oklahoma potentially being in that same situation. And Oklahoma is going to be ranked when the playoff rankings come out. I bet they're going to be like 11th or something like that. Like still in the top 12, maybe not drop down a lot, but, um, the guy, I I think number four for Oklahoma, I forget the receiver's name, Caleb Williams zipped a, a, a pass on. It was like third downs right before he got sacked, uh, to end the game. And it, his toe was on the white line. Like, is it, it clearly it was on the white line, but but like an inch on the white line. And he caught the ball, and but it was out of bounds. Play didn't count. Next play's a sack. Oklahoma loses. Lincoln Riley's gone. The whole thing, Oklahoma is up in flames because that dude's foot was two inches away. Now, granted, not every game is going to be like that, but just giving a little bit of, to, to me, it gives a little bit of solace and reprieve to Iowa State season, knowing that like, when you look at the thin tiny margins like you have to be good enough to be considered even in the conversation like you can't the difference between being kansas and being oklahoma state is huge but the difference between being iowa state and being oklahoma state is pretty small like it is two or three plays here or there it's one drop pass here or there it's one penalty here or there And like the difference is so small between being in that high level and being just really, really good. So I don't know, that's the, the big overarching thing to me. And then the other thing is I'm really, I, I always, and I think a lot of Iowa state fans, just by nature of being an Iowa state fan kind of immediately pull for the underdog. And it's weird to think that Michigan falls into the category of being an underdog, but everybody, Ohio state has been such a juggernaut for the last like, 10 years that they've not really had the chance to, I don't know, push anyone like no one's been able to get Ohio state off the, off the the top of the mountain. And so like Michigan served the role as the underdog, but it's good to see like, again, let's say Georgia beats Alabama. Then your teams would be Georgia. Who's been there before Michigan. Who's never been in the playoff before Cincinnati. Who's never been in the playoff before and Oklahoma state. Who's never been in the playoff before. So, are Clemson and Alabama and Ohio state, uh, are they still really good? Sure they are, but you have this new kind of influx of teams that are going to, that are, are showing the, uh, sports media elites that it is not just the teams that you think are good are good. So I don't know. Those are the two general overarching things that I thought about, which are, yeah, it's so close between being really good and being really being just a, a an elite team. And then, how the underdogs are starting to flip the script a little bit this year to say like, no, 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 man, it's not just, it's not just one team that's going to be taking care of this.
1: It'll be interesting to see if that carries over now. Uh, Obviously this year was a little bit different with as many teams having the super seniors and things like that. There were a lot of veteran teams in college football this year. How does that Mm -hmm. change when those guys are gone? You know, do we see this playing field leveling be like a lasting thing, or is it something that Mm -hmm. just exists for one year? Basically? Like, that's what I think. And we don't know an answer to that today, but that's the kind of thing that I think will be interesting to track in the coming years.
0: Yeah. And if it does, I think that's, I feel like it's just good for college football, you know, like just generally the more chance that your team has to be whatever successful goal is your goal. You know, like I think Kansas fans would love to be in the shot, in the running, for a big 12 championship. Like, could you imagine if Kansas got to the point where they were like, even as good as Iowa state, if they got to that level where consistently you're expecting to win every game. And so like, that's the goal. And so the more likely your team is to achieve that goal, the better off the whole sport is because then each game matters more. I mean, you think about Saturday, the important games on Saturday, they just went one after the other, after the other, where it was, Ohio state, Michigan in the morning. And then you had Wisconsin, Minnesota, which is going to determine the big 10 championship or big 10 West champion after that, plus the iron bowl, which is always going to be important when Alabama's kind of or either one of them is going to be up there. And then obviously Oklahoma and Oklahoma state and Bedlam. And it was just important game after important game after important game, because it's not just three teams that are like, well, we know that Alabama and Ohio state and Clemson are going to be in, who's going to be the fourth team that gets their ass whooped right away and then move on. So I, it's just generally better when there is so much more openness to me because, yeah, it gives it, gives it Wisconsin-Minnesota much more meaning because it's not just this completely
1: foregone conclusion that Ohio State's going to be in. I think we have the best chance – or we have a good chance to have our best year of the playoffs since probably the first year, uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that – I mean, if it's who it looks like it will be right now, if it's – you know, Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and, o- and Oklahoma State. I mean, I don't know if Oklahoma State, if they were the four seed, I don't know if they would beat, uh, if they would beat Georgia. I think that they'd mm-hmm. give them a, a solid game though. And I think Cincinnati yeah. and Michigan would be a good game, you know? Like yeah. I think any way that you shake it out in the, with those top four, I think that that's going to be a fun playoff, you know? Mm-hmm. And just the element of having three teams that have never been there before, and then one that's never won the national, that has not won the national championship in 30, 40 years Like Mm -hmm. that's fun, you know, that's really fun (laughs) to have just these new people around and like Georgia, who is a monster and has been really good in football for a while, obviously. And has been right up there in that conversation, like for them, it's like, okay, can they get over the hump? But you have to wonder Mm -hmm. if there'll be people who are like, well, that's a discounted championship because Alabama wasn't there. Ohio state wasn't there. Clemson wasn't there. Like all these kinds of things. And it's just like, it's goofy. Like, you know, there'll be people who are goofy about it, but I think it for, to the casual college football fan, it will be considerably more fun. But the good news for Georgia regarding that is they, I mean, they have a,
0: it's not a, basically Georgia's in right now. Like they're in, even if they lose they're unless they get embarrassed, if they lose by 50, then maybe not. But I still think that they're probably in, but they're going to have to go through Alabama and they're going to have the chance to essentially like stamp Alabama out of the playoff and to sort of legitimize their way in. You know, like, yes, Ohio state's not there. Clemson's not there, but no one would look at Clemson this year and say, man, that team deserves to be in. And even Ohio state, somebody, I think McShay said they should be in even after their loss, but like realistically you lose twice. There's only four teams. There's 130 to choose from. Mathematically it's, it's just not going to happen. Like, oh, could they have, could they execute in the playoff and could theoretically they win a tournament. If you put eight teams out there and Ohio state's one of them. Sure. They could, but they didn't. And if they couldn't beat Michigan, they probably wouldn't beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it is, it, it's good for Georgia that they can go through Alabama. If in fact they do get through Alabama to say like, no, there is no doubt about this.
1: We got in and we pushed saving out done. All right. Let's talk about the Cyclones. I would with a 48 to 14 win over TCU on Friday afternoon at Jack Trice stadium senior day. It was a fun day, man, just to see, uh, all the seniors get out there and play one more time. But man, it was a junior that stole the show. Uh, Did you mean to to Gus Johnson that? N- I mean, no, kind of. I don't know. I kind of float There's in and out of Gus Johnson sometimes. Stole the show. Yeah, I kind of float in and out of the Gus Johnson sometimes. I've done that <laughs> voice so many times now that I just like it. It just comes. It's a part uh, of you. Yeah, it's just part of me. Gus is just in my heart so much that you know, some every t- every once in a while he comes out. But uh, man, twenty eight, dude, kid's special. Like if that's he the really last is. time we ever watched twenty eight play in a in an Iowa State uniform, man, it will be a, uh, it would be hard to ever top that one. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, I think Brees yep. had like two hundred and fifty something it's yards of total offense. It's two eighty one. 281, 281 of total offense. Yeah. 281 yards total touchdowns. offense and four touchdowns. Um, and if you were a dope none Walker them, award winner or none voter. of them, by the way, none of them were easy. <laughs> there was none of, none of the
0: touchdowns. I think maybe the first one, like, but the rest of the big plays, it wasn't like it was super well blocked beyond everything. And he didn't have to do anything. You know, he could just kind of glide in the end zone. Like he had to work for each one of those. And each time he touched the ball, he did something exceptionally special with it. And I don't know, it, it was, that was the first time that I was able to just be a fan because and we record the pregame show a little bit early, um, especially with Thanksgiving. We didn't want to like have to do that on Thanksgiving day. So we recorded the pregame show a little bit early and then I had TV on Saturday morning, but the game was on Friday. So I literally could just be a fan and it was I don't know. It was just so much fun that that game was the game you could just sit and be a fan and like, just stand up and be like, what in the world did I just watch? And how did he do that?
1: Yeah. There was one play that he made. It was like a 15 yard reception where he caught the ball and did a spin move immediately after he caught it and then reversed field and went back. And I think got pushed out of bounds on the Iowa state sideline. And it was like, that was a moment where you're like, man, I mean, I don't know. There's been a lot of those moments where he does those things where you're like, where you're like, damn, like that's, that's different, you know? But even yeah. on a day when he was different on every play, it seemed like he made this one play where you're just like, Whew. I mean, if that's what he's on, then you're not going to beat Iowa state, you know, that to me, the, the play that, that I saw, that was the most, holy
0: nuts was it was a 17 yard run. I think it just preceded his receiving touchdown. And it was, I mean, nothing. There was penetration in the backfield. There was linebackers that didn't get the offensive line, didn't get to the second level. And the dude turned nothing. And it was just like five TCU defenders, almost comically set up to tackle him and makes all of them miss and gets a 17 yard gain. And when you watch the butt angle of it, it's like, there is, he had no business getting a yard and he got 17 and I text, uh, uh, you know, the, the group chat that I have with, with Spears and Arnod and a Rob, and I text him like that is the, that clip, that 17 yard clip is going to be when they, when they announce and the 31st overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft Brees hall, Iowa state. Like when they say that the first clip that ESPN is going to show is that. Like just because it so perfectly and like exemplifies how hard it is to get an angle on number twenty-eight, and it's just like that play to me. I mean, even beyond the seventy-five yard run and the touchdown reception, which is crazy, and the one you were talking about, he reverses field. I mean, all of that is just insane. But like, I don't even know how you how to properly describe how impressive just a, a quote mundane seventeen yard run was that, I don't know, that was, it was so much fun to just be a fan and just exist
1: in the space to watch 28 do what 28 does. If 28 is not the, was not the offensive player of the year in the big 12 for the second consecutive year before this weekend, it would be hard to keep it away from him now. I think, I mean, I don't know how, Yeah. I don't know how you don't give it to him. I, There's I, no one else that really would hold a candle. No. And, and, I mean, cause the again, best team- and like I said, if you're a Doak Walker award winner and you watch that game on Saturday, I don't know how you walk away from that and be like, that's not the best running back I've seen in college football this year. He's the best yeah, running back in college I mean, football. Yeah, it's, it's Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall.
0: And I, I haven't watched enough of Kenneth Walker, but I would imagine it's those two and it doesn't really matter who else is up there. I mean, it, it's two guys that would realistically deserve to have that. But yeah, if, you're, if you hadn't cast your vote yet, which I'd imagine a lot of guys have already kind of turned their votes in, but if you hadn't cast your vote yet by Saturday, and you watch that game, again, it'd be it'd be hard to think that you don't put him one and Walker mm-hmm. or two, or at least if I don't know how you can be like, hey, can I put like a one and one a? Like, is that cool? If we just can we co-win this?
1: Give it to both of them. Give them both the award. I don't know, but I think Brees better. is better. One wins the doke and one wins the Walker. Uh, just the. Brees is lying. 18 carries 242 yards. This is an amazing statistic. Brees carried the ball 18 times. He lost zero yards. Zero. Zero, zero yards lost. I don't know if Brees Hall has ever done that before. I'm going to guess not. I don't think that that is even a thing that ever happens hardly. If you carry the ball as much as Brees Hall does. Even uh, accidentally, he- a guy gets
0: like a a guard trips and you have like a a run through, like something happens.
1: I don't know if that says more about Brees Haller, or if that says more about the TCU defense, which was comically bad at times uh, (laughs) on Friday. They, you could tell.
0: So little anecdote, I, I know that I've told it on this before, but on my senior night, it was the zero degree, negative one degree game, the ice game against Kansas. And there was a TV timeout that we had, that the teams come out and then you're like, ah, shit, we have another minute and a half like because you get called out too early and you're just mm-hmm. standing out there sort of in formation and there's a Kansas player that's like got his hands in his armpits and he's kind of standing there like with us uh, so you could tell like a thermal underneath a sweatshirt underneath his pads and it's just like shivering and Grant Hotch and I are back there and uh, I don't remember if it was me or Grant that asked like hey 55 you want to be here and the dude just shakes his head no <laughs> so like they didn't want to be there. Like admitted that this is don't want to be, there. I want the season to be done. I want to be warm. You could tell TCU was in the same boat. Like if you asked any one of those guys, especially with how breeze was playing, like if you asked any one of the linebackers or safeties or defensive linemen and you go, Hey man, you want to be here? No chance. They would say yes. Like zero chance. They want the season to be done. They just, it was cold. They were 28's really good. I just don't want to be here. and You could see it. Like Mm -hmm. that's partly why Brees was able to do what he did
1: is because there's no resistance, partly because he's really freaking good. It was really funny to look at the TCU sideline. And there was a point when I think there was four people standing up and it was the coaches. Everyone else was huddled on the bench.
0: Heated benches, baby. You got propane. I got like a little propane heater going through those, man. You never, you think a seat warmer, like when you get in your car, you think that's nice. When you put your butt on a heated bench and it's 22 degrees outside. Oh, that is heaven.
1: Uh, all right. Brees was not the only running back to have a nice day. Gyro Brock two carries for 41 yards and a touchdown, including a 40 yard touchdown run. That was his first rushing touchdown of his career at Iowa state. Cyclones are in good hands in that room. I think that, uh, I I think gyro knows what he's doing. Yeah.
0: They got three really good ones. Uh, you got gyro got Silas and you got Sanders and those three together, they do things very differently. And the, the thing that I want to see from Jairo Brock, which I think he will get out. It's just going to take a little bit to get out is right now. I mean, up until that, that big cut and that, like he actually outrun outran everybody, his play to that point is he ran in a style like I ran, which is, you're looking for contact, your shoulders down, you're trying to get up the field, which is all fine, but I'm not nearly as athletic as Jirel Brock is. And so Jirel, I think he's got to get a little bit, and this is a really weird thing for a running back to give advice or to get advice to us. He's got to pop himself up a little bit. Like he's got to get his eyes up to see what's happening. And he's got to slow down a little bit so he can actually like make cuts like he did on Saturday to see what he's going to do because his role this whole year was my role, which is you're going to block. You're going to be in there. You're going to be the physical one. You're going to get 27 snaps a game uh, on offense, but they're not going to be, you're going to get the ball three times. You're going to have seven yards. Like granted, I had a little bit more like short yardage goal than he did because, but I didn't have a Brees hall that Mm -hmm. was going to do that. So his, his risk, I think his eyes have to change what he's looking at because he is probably, I mean, I really like Sanders and I really like Silas, but he's Brock is, or gyro Brock is probably going to be, the feature back. And so as long as he can keep his eyes up, but if he, if he's not able to get himself out of that, then he's going to, I mean, I think of all of them, the guy that's the most well-balanced at this point is Eli Sanders is who, who runs kind of most similar to Brees in a way that is kind of open. But Silas is like deuce Vaughn where he's four foot seven and just super quick. Like that guy's really fun to watch, but I mean, it, I hope we can get more of Saturday's gyro Brock next year. Once he kind of goes through the off season being like, all right, well, I'm going to get touches. I got to do stuff with this instead of it's second and seven. I just need to keep the
1: ball rolling. while until breeze comes back, like that kind of mental switch. I don't know if you noticed this, but I think it was on the, the pregame radio show last week. I said when we were talking about the seniors, I said, if, if anybody at Iowa State knows what they're doing, Brock Purdy will go last in senior day uh, in the senior day festivities. And of course, the winningest and greatest quarterback in Iowa State history was the last one announced. Uh, and it was, you know, special to see him be able to play one more time as a cyclone, and he played a fantastic game. He was 21 of 30 for 262 yards and two touchdowns. He threw the long touchdown pass to Chase Allen, on Chase's last play at Jack Troy stadium. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Uh, and to see the emotion that he put out there, uh, I mean, there's not much more to say about Brock at this point, man. Like he just, just yeah. he, he just, he was Brock and, you know, we made this comparison before, but you know, 15 is like what 31 was to Iowa state men's basketball, you know? Yeah. And in, in the prior era and, you know, I know we don't do anything with the numbers and stuff like that. Like what we do in basketball at Iowa state, but man, if, if there was ever a group to figure out a way to do it, this is probably the one, like, I don't know how you can, how you can put a kid in number 28, how you can put a kid in number 15, how you can put a kid in number 88 and be like, good luck, kid. Live up to that one. Well, shoot. I mean,
0: if you look at the numbers that preceded them, I mean, 15 and 28 should just be done
1: right yeah. now. Like
0: point blank period. Cause you have Seneca Wallace and Brock Purdy. And then you have the Davis brothers and Brees hall. Like no one should wear those numbers again. I mean, just put 28 next to 28 next to 28 in a ring of honor, and then put 15 next to 15 and then put number eight up there. And then I don't know what else, what else do you need? Like Mm -hmm. the, the fact that Charlie got to go out catching, I mean, again, comical. We we talked about, you, you talk about TCU's defense being comically bad. It's third and six. Where's the ball going? It's going Where's
1: to 88. The ball going? It's going to 88 every time. They would single cover him with a nickel, who's about 5'11.
0: And I would laugh because it's a it's a catch tackle, sure. But it's third and six, and you pick up 12. And then I think he had maybe five or six receptions. Four of them were first downs on a third down. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. At some point, somebody should look at the defense on third and seven and say, you know what? Let's double cover 88. Let's leave anybody else open. Let's see if anybody else can get covered. We're going to, we're going to double cover 88 and they never did, which is a comical miscarriage of
1: defense to not do that. At this point, I wonder if anybody it's like, people were just like, well, I don't think it really matters that much. If we were, if we double cover him, he's probably going to be open anyway and they're probably going to throw it to him regardless. So (laughs) at this point, we might as well just try and cover everybody else too. Yeah, fine. Just throw it to him. Whatever. Yeah. Five catches for 65 yards for Charlie, uh, Xavier Hutchinson, seven catches for 107 yards. X will be a first team all big 12 selection as well. Um, breaks a single season record for receptions with 82, uh held by Tracy Henderson previously. I mean, X might have just put together the best single season by an Iowa State wide receiver in mm-hmm. a considerable no. amount of time. Yeah, and, and there's been some good ones in recent yeah. history.
0: I mean Todd Blythe might have something to say about that, but even guys like Lazarus, even if he does, Butler, we I don't care. Even if he does, I don't care what Todd Blythe has to say. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Screw you, Todd. Uh but if, I mean, between Hakeem and Allen, like those guys didn't have as consistent of game after game after game after game production like X did. And even when he became a second option, like the thing with those guys is they were always the first choice. There was nobody else to throw to. Now, granted, when Hakeem was there, like Charlie started to come up a little bit, like you had a little bit, Deshante Jones was there, but like, and even Alan had Hakeem on the other side, but Hakeem didn't know what he was doing yet and like Matt Eaton's around, but there's no other like truly dominant receiving threat where Charlie Kohler, like in the Oklahoma game, Charlie was the number one option. And it has, it's happened in multiple games before. It's just the most recent one. Well, X is totally fine being the second choice. And he's really good at doing just underneath drag route, quick little slant, like something that's not the primary receiver that's going to be run off. And also I think he deserves half a touchdown on Brees 70 or 75 yard or whatever the distance on that was 80 yard run. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It was 80, but he deserves half a touchdown because he was going to get a safety and then saw Brees pop out the back door threw the brakes on, and then just started. I mean, he got zero to 60 in like 10 yards and was essentially able to stay between the secondary player and Brees without blocking in the back, without uh, getting in Brees way. And being able to escort him down the field without that, there's no way, because without X doing what he did and just being like, hey, man, touchdown, and like kind of jogging and letting Brees do the work, Brees would have to cut back. There was another TCU defender that was probably going to be able to catch him on that cutback and no touchdown. But dude is so good and so comfortable, again, being the second option or doing the little dirty things like blocking and running down the field. I mean, all that kind of stuff. That's what I think that stuff, is going to get X a shot in the, in the league somewhere, because he is comfortable being a section up second option or in the slot or as a wide receiver like a a true wide out. That guy will play on Sundays as will a lot of other guys on this Iowa state roster.
1: Yeah. A couple of those guys, uh, Mike Rose, six tackles, two tackles for loss or pass breakup in a quarterback hurry uh mike became the second player in iowa state history to finish well he will finish his career as a second player in iowa state history to record 40 or more tor- tackles for a loss in their career uh, anthony johnson had six tackles uh, a tackle for a loss in a pass breakup greg eyesworth with six tackles a tackle for a loss, loss an interception on senior day uh, it seems like greg is like had popcorn, had the re- like popcorn remnants on his hands at times. So to see him get an interception and it was actually like a phenomenal catch in the end zone to be able to, to get the interception. It was one of those things where you're yeah. like, man, it's a, it's about damn time. It was the, it was yeah, the LeBron man. Jordan or the LeBron James uh, gift where it's, it's about damn time after he won it with the heat. That's what it was for Greg guys to get the interception. Um, Gary Vaughn had six tackles, Jake Hummel, six tackles. And Will McDonald, of course, gets another sack uh in, you know, who knows how many more times we've got a chance to watch him play. If he comes back for another year, he'll be the big 12s all time leader in sacks by a considerable margin. So uh, it's been fun to watch those guys. They're going to play a lot here in the future, but we'll never get to play, watch him play again at Jack Trice stadium. So mid Friday, pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot of the seniors and who knows, I mean, some might elect to take that COVID year and come back. We don't know. Um, but I, I almost feel like the, there is a passing of the torch kind of where like the expectation is, uh, we're, we're done like as a group we're we're giving the baton to the next generation to run with it and see what they do. So I don't know. It felt like it was, there's going to be more that don't come back than do come back kind of independent. I I saw uh, Zach Peterson was recognized. I'd be surprised if he doesn't come back a guy like that, I would expect to come back, but I mean, I, I would imagine the majority of people are going to be done after this year and just say like, all right, man, this is, we did
1: our thing. We got to go out the way we want to go out, hang them up. All right, man. Do you got anything final, any final thoughts? I'm sure we'll do a pod next week to talk about a bowl game, but otherwise I think we're getting close to time to ramp down here on uh, football and random things and let the Christmas off take his time off. Yep. Got to Six months
0: to just sit in the, sit in an office and just stare at a ceiling and dream of better days. No, um, the I think the bowl game conversation is really interesting because there is a chance that Iowa State goes to Orlando or Houston, which we kind of expect. But if not super unlikely events happen, San Antonio is not out of the realm of possibility. So like that's a thing we'll we'll know. Uh, by the time we record this again, because they're going to announce it on Sunday, so we're going to know where we're going. Um, Cyclone fanatic will likely have at least something figured out, or what there's going to be bull travel or whatever. That's we'll leave that to Chris. Um, but the if Oklahoma State wins and Baylor makes a respectable game out of it, instead of if if Oklahoma State wins and Baylor gets blown out and it's like fifty-six to zero, they kind of lose the respect of being able to do this. But if Oklahoma State beats Baylor in a respectable game and then either Cincinnati or Alabama loses, then Oklahoma State's a playoff team. And even if, I mean, maybe they even jump somebody, I don't know. But they get in, then Oklahoma would be a two-loss team, which would be likely in the top 12, uh, and the only losses would be to Baylor and Oklahoma State, which are good losses, and they have good wins on the rest of the schedule. Then Baylor and Oklahoma State would likely both be New Year's Six teams, which would then automatically disqualify them and kind of bump them out of the Big 12 Bowl rankings, which who does that leave then as the first representative to the Big 12 Bowl? Iowa State. That is San Antonio. So well, Oklahoma. Granted, Wouldn't they leave Oklahoma? Oklahoma and Baylor would be in the New Year's. Six. Oh, okay, okay, so, okay. Like, okay then Iowa state would yeah. theoretically be this, the, the San Antonio representative. Now, granted, it's not, it's not the, it's going to happen, but there is a possibility that San Antonio, Orlando, or Houston. So those are the ones that I would imagine, uh, Iowa state's going to be considered for. So, um, we'll know by next Monday.
1: Anywhere about Orlando, please. <laughs>
0: You and me both, sister. You and me both.
1: (laughs) Anywhere but Orlando, Florida. I'll go anywhere. I'll go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Las Cruces, where uh, where I think Jerry Kill was already at uh, part of the game the other day when they had it fourth and short at the 50-yard line, and he decided to punt it anyway. Uh, he's 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 already thinking about his office in las cruces man Uh, all right it's been another fun episode of football and random things oh programming note i should have mentioned this earlier we're gonna have a second episode of football and random things this week i'm calling it a e fart or an effort uh f f art uh with jay jordan I'm going to record that this afternoon, so you guys can look forward to that on Tuesday, uh, and we'll look more into the future of Iowa State football with Jay uh, here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Until next time, it's been Jared Stansbury for Jeff Woody. Have a great uh, week, and enjoy the first week in December.